you know, life isn't just about you getting the most out of it and take, 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 and how can I make the most of, you know, earning enough money and getting all the things for myself as I live my life. I think being part of that collective really instills in you the sense of responsibility for other people. Purpose Tea Podcast, speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders, people who are making the world a better place. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. A really warm welcome to episode 87 of Purposey with Kule Wong. Kule recently returned to New Zealand from the UK to take up a position with B-Lab. So what is B-Lab? B-Lab is a network non-profit aiming to transform the global economy to the benefit of all people as well as the environment that are behind the B Corp certification. Um, really interesting episode. You'll enjoy it a lot. Um, if you're enjoying the other episodes, please don't forget to subscribe, share with friends, family and colleagues. And also uh, leave a review if you get a chance. Enjoy. Kule Wong, welcome to Purpose Podcast. Kia ora, Mark. Thank you very much for having me. You are the head of B-Lab for Aotearoa New Zealand. What is B-Lab and what's its purpose? What's its mission? So uh, B-Lab is a non-profit organisation that looks after B Corp certification. Um, so I work for B-Lab Australia and New Zealand. and We're a regional organisation, but there's a whole lot of B-Labs around the world um, that do the same thing. Um, and B Corps essentially are businesses that are balancing uh, profit with purpose um, and holding themselves account to pretty high standards of social and environmental impact. Um, essentially, we're, you know, at a big level, we're really trying to change the economic system um, to become one that uh, balances the, the needs of all stakeholders uh, and kind of moves on from this very age old concept of shareholder primacy where businesses are, you know, only set up to create profit for their shareholders. Um, we think that that's a, a pretty old school way of thinking um, and one that uh, needs to be um, move, uh, moved on from, I guess. And a growing movement, um, scaling, and we're sitting in, in New Zealand and um, there's, a, there's a fair number of B Corps uh, certifying locally, aren't there? Yeah, it's the momentum's pretty amazing at the moment. Um, I've been in this role just for two months and we had just over 40 when I started and now we've just hit 60 with stuff certifying so it's moving at an incredible pace um i think you know it won't be long until we hit 100 b corps in new zealand and you know we've got over 400 across the region already as well so yeah pretty amazing great big businesses like kiwi bank and eco store joining the movement too which really helped and gives a feel for you know, the process of, of certifying what hoops they have to jump through is it typically a painful experience for organizations I think uh, it is sometimes it does it can take a while for, for organizations to go through the process. Um, it is rigorous, but I guess you want that in a certification. Um, you don't want it to be something that's really easy to pass and you can just slap a logo onto um, onto your website. Um, so businesses need to go through our B impact assessment um, and any business can actually uh, sign up to that and, and start using it for free. They don't have to pay to start measuring the impact and then essentially they need to reach an 80 point minimum of approximately 200 points in total uh, and at that point they can apply for certification um, so they submit their assessment and then they'll get connected with a verification analyst who will essentially kind of come in and do a bit of an audit check your documentation make sure that you're actually doing what you say you're doing um, and that's the process that can be quite rigorous I think 
lots of businesses are doing great stuff, but often um, they find that they, they haven't necessarily written things down or provided evidence around, you know, exactly how they are doing certain things. Um, so I think that's that's what businesses can find quite arduous. But we have heard that, you know, businesses say that when once they do go through that process, it's a really, it sets a really great foundation going forward because they have, do, they have then documented it and they can act on it much better uh, than if it was just sort of more casually part of the day-to-day. Yeah, and it's supposed to be tough, right? So to sort of um, guard against purpose and, and greenwashing, um, you really want the organisation to sort of embed purpose alongside profit at the very heart of the of the business right in the, their strategy? Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the critical things of becoming a B Corp is our legal um, requirements. So any business that becomes a B Corp is actually required to change their constitution. So, you know, their founding company documents to say that they will consider all stakeholders alongside shareholders in, in all decision making. And that's, you know, quite revolutionary just in itself that, um, you know, directors have traditionally only been accountable really to shareholders and B Corps are saying, you know, no, we will consider the environment, we'll consider our customers and we'll consider our workers um, and the community um, in all of our decision making. It is a big, big step change for businesses generally. And most recently, um, in terms of some controversy overseas, where Nespresso achieved B Corps certification, I guess the controversy because part of a, a larger a company and there's a split in the camp on whether this is um, a, appropriate for Nespresso to get the certification when maybe other parts of the business haven't got that. So what, what are your views on, on this um, development? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's lots of uh, questions on this. Um, you know, on the kind of Nespresso being part of Nestle. So Nespresso itself is its own kind of legal entity and has control over its own decision making, hence why it can be certified without having to certify Nestle. They are two very separate organisations in terms of supply chain, decision making, you know, how they run their business. So we have really nothing to do with Nestle in terms of that being uh, certified. And you're right, it is, you know, it, it is controversial and Nespresso has got a long history and I think in the past has been criticised for being a bit of a black box when it comes to everything, you know, nobody really knew how they operated. So one of the things I think that's good about them joining the B Corp community is that they are opening themselves up to become transparent. You can't change what you don't measure and I think this is an important step for them to start measuring that impact and take steps to improving it yeah um you know they are you know as as we said before it's not an easy assessment especially for large um corporates like nespresso there's a lot more scrutiny that goes into the assessment um when they're a business of that size and that complexity um and and so i think you know they have done what it takes to become a b corp and they are also really open to the fact that this is the start of a journey um, of continuous improvement, which we, we really welcome. And if we're going to change the system, we need this, the espressos of the world to be working with us, not against us. And that's exactly where I come with it. I think it's, it's the start of a journey. And, and actually, it's you know, it's interesting because eh, it's Nestle and other companies around the world realising that actually this is going to be imperative for consumers, uh, for stakeholders, for personally for shareholders, um, that we do care about the environment, we do care about how we treat people. Just sort of looking at your own career and, and like your passion for, you know, what I like to call business for good or, you know, balancing purpose and profit. Did some of your passion come from 
the negative side. We're actually seeing uh, the sort of, you know, money at all costs or stakeholders being the shareholders at all costs. Did that come from personal experience that drove you to down this area? I think it was actually probably more the opposite. I was really inspired by, I have always been really interested in purpose. And I, I think as a young person going into university, I didn't really know what that meant. You know, there weren't options around studying this sort of thing. But sort of this concept of social change and using business as a driver for good was really inspiring for me. I think a lot of that came from my family. Um, I come from, you know, a relatively large Chinese extended family. And this this concept of being part of an interdependent system is something that I grew up with. And I guess I saw that on a bigger scale in the community and how we can, you know, how we're all interdependent and we have a role to support each other in this this world that we all live in. Um, and we should be using you know, our position in that world for good and seeing really inspiring businesses doing cool stuff where they, you know, they were having a social impact and being really successful. So it was more that the creative side of innovative business that got me into this. And um, I just love telling those stories um, and encouraging more businesses to work like that. And focusing a bit on your childhood. So gr- growing up in a Chinese family, but in Aotearoa, what did home look like for you? So we, well, I'm, yeah, half half Chinese, half kind of uh, Pakeha European, and there were lots of big family gatherings. So, you know, we're really close with our extended family, cousins, aunties, uncles. It probably gives a sense of, yeah, being part of a bigger family, you know, than just your little unit. Uh, and I always found that quite different to my friends growing up at school. They would sort of always be really confused why I couldn't come to a birthday party because I had to go to yet another family gathering. Um so that was definitely a big part of my childhood. But yeah, I love it. And it, it's still like that. And what, what are the different influences culturally for you in terms of the, the you know, Pakeha and, and Chinese? What was, how does that play out? What did you see that, that brought? Yeah, I think that there is being part of that bigger collective does instill in you the sense of, you know, life isn't just about you getting the most out of it and take, take, take. And how can I make the most of you know, earning enough money and getting all the things for myself as I live my life. I think being part of that collective really instills in you the sense of responsibility for other people and not doing things just for yourself, but for others. And maybe that sense of service, uh, really, that is is quite prevalent in Asian communities. So you educated in Auckland, then you headed to Auckland Uni and you did a, a law degree, is that right? Yeah, yeah, I studied. I was tossing up whether to do law or fashion, which are two very different things, um, but a bit probably symbolise my the kind of two sides of the sense of social justice, but also a real creative side. Um, but went down the law route, yeah. And no aspirations being a lawyer or to realise that you just didn't fit for you? Yeah, not really. I think I, I um, kind of quickly came to the realisation that change is slow in the in the law and in government. And that's where I really fell into um, the business world, but business for good. Um, my sister also works in a, a similar space. And I my first job out of university was actually working for her. Um, and I worked on a campaign in New Zealand, which was all about changing people's attitudes and behaviours towards people with disabilities. So that really got me excited that there was you know, there's a job out there where I could be working in the space doing good, but using my, you know, creative skills to, you know, for storytelling and to inspire other businesses to operate in a better way. And then Aotearoa became 
too small for you? Thought I need an overseas adventure? Is that is that what happened? Yeah, I think I, I think I was just at that age where lots of people are heading over to the UK and I thought I would be, you know, there for a year or two as, you know, being really close to my family. The con- you know, the thought of living on the other side of the world was pretty scary, but, uh, you know, I thought I'd give it a go. Um, it ended up staying there for eight years and it's, you know, I just returned to New Zealand a couple of months ago and it was, yeah, an awesome eight years, amazing experience. And I got to do some really cool stuff in this space over there. And did it feel like a, a kind of coming of age period for you? Yeah, I think so. And I think just opening my eyes to this whole world of business around sustainability that was didn't really exist in, in New Zealand. You know, I think we're a couple of years behind, um, you know, other parts of the world. Whereas in the UK, I think it was, you know, there were lots of businesses that were really pioneering in the space. And it was just amazing to, to be exposed to that and meet some really incredible people. Wonderful. So ethical fashion, um, sort of ethical marketing, you ended up in a few different roles, but you did a, the most recent role was a company called Hoxby. Um, tell us a bit about that. That was in, in London. Yeah. Um, so Hoxby um, are a consulting firm, professional services agency, but everybody works completely remote at Hoxby. So they are a network of about 700 people that are really revolutionising the way that we work um, and kind of dispelling this idea that we need to spend two hours commuting every day to, you know, to sit at a desk and probably not talk to anyone and then get back on a bus and go back home. So they're kind of, you know, right at that uh, end of the spectrum of of transforming the future of work. And I was the head of impact there. So helping them as an organisation measure their impact and also work with clients on delivering kind of impact services for them. Yeah, I, I love the title head of impact because, um, you know, that's, if you're going to do anything that's positively impact. So give, give us an example of, would it be heavily data-driven, more um, behavioural-based, or ha- what would be your projects? Yeah, loads of data. So, I mean, I think my, I would love, you know, personally for impact measuring to become, you know, with the same rigour that we perform financial analysis within a business. And, you know, it is, it is like that, you know, you're looking at lots of different data points from environmental footprint to people's engagement as an employee, you know, how, what their well-being, you know, how to score people's well-being. Uh, there's, you know, there's so many data points that we can look at. And, and like I said before, we can't change what we don't measure. And so it's really important that we do spend as much rigour measuring our impact as we do looking at, you know, the financial health of the company. And the decision to come home, was that because you missed your, your whanau or was it around just a, the plan was always to come back? We, we had a baby about 18 months ago, so life changed quite a bit in the UK. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily, you know, the going out all the time London that we had experienced for the first six years. So, yeah, I think that, that partly drove it. And we just, you know, I think it, it was time. We'd achieved a lot while we were there and really ready to start a new chapter back home. And you experienced um, sort of COVID and the, and the pandemic uh, locked up in, in a flat in London is that how it worked yeah actually I mean I was pregnant and then had a baby throughout that whole period so it wasn't too bad because I didn't get too much FOMO because everybody else was stuck at home as well so that was actually quite good but it did it did get a little bit challenging yeah once we had the baby and it was it was hard to get out and have much support so yeah it, it was definitely an interesting experience I imagine being pregnant um when COVID hit 
especially in sort of March 2020, would have been quite a scary place mentally. Yeah, it was it was a little bit. Um, and yeah, especially because we just didn't know, you know, nobody knew what we were getting into. Yeah, and I just remember we were so, so careful, you know, we just like wouldn't, even going to buy a takeaway coffee, we'd be so cautious about talking to anyone or touching anything. Yeah, it was a crazy time, wasn't it? And now we're just, it's, we're kind of learning to live with it. It's bizarre. Yeah. And there was that period of time when no one knew what the effect would be on um, childbirth and, and, and women. So this role, anyway, so looking forward to this role has come up at B-Lab. Um, you're in, you're, are you in London at this point and going actually, you know, coming home into that role would be, you know, absolutely superb for me? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd had some really amazing experiences in the UK and been exposed to working with, you know, some real leading businesses in sustainability and impact. And it wasn't, it was, it was not easy to leave that behind, but I felt like it was really a good time in New Zealand where there was some real momentum around sustainability starting to happen. You know, and this role with B-Lab, you know, it's the first one that they have, you know, it's the first hire that they've had in New Zealand. That really signified the growth of the movement here. So it really excited me to see that that role was available and I felt like I could really add value and come back and make a difference and help to really drive this this movement that I had sort of seen happen in the UK. I really wanted to kind of be part of replicating that in, in Aotearoa. Yeah. And so what does day-to-day look like for you? Is it going out and connecting with people and, and you know sharing the kind of love? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's sort of two aspects to it. Obviously, there's our amazing B Corp community, getting to know them, understanding what they need, helping them to drive more impact through what they do. And then the other side is working with all of the other incredible organisations that are already working in this space, like SBC and SBN. They're amazing. You know, they've done so much great mahi already, um, and we're not here to to replicate that. You know, we really want to bring the industry together and you know, drive more impact than each of us could achieve on our own. So it's about working with them and understanding where we can work together. So about the Sustainable Business Network and also the... Oh, sorry, the Sustainable Business Council and Sustainable Council, Business yeah. Network. Yeah. Wonderful. So a lot of coffees, uh, a lot of digital <laughs> hangouts, a lot of... Uh, do you like networking? Is that a comfortable place for you? It's actually... I mean, I never would have... I would never describe myself as a natural networker. I think I am definitely more of an introvert. But it is amazing when you do something that you absolutely love and care about it makes everything a lot easier i think you know when you are really connected to your purpose and values and your work it doesn't feel like work it just feels like life and being introverted does that mean you just need to carve out some time for yourself yeah i think so i think um flexible working and, and you know what i learned through hoxby around you know what we talk about work style kind of determining how you how you structure your work day I've really learned how to recharge my own batteries when I need to go for a walk to, you know, just get a bit of time out. And that's so important, I think, you know, for everyone, no matter what you do, to really to listen to what you need. And, and it makes us better workers at the end of the day as well. Yeah. And and talking to aspirational uh, companies locally who, who are sort of want to be certified and all those that have, what are, what are the sort of challenges locally? What are the unique elements of it? in terms of Aotearoa? Um, I think we, I I think in Aotearoa, we are amazing at um, just getting on and doing stuff. So there's loads of businesses that are doing awesome things and have been for years. 
I think one of the challenges, like I was saying before, around certification for those businesses is kind of stopping and taking stock and really documenting how they've done that. Um, and I think it is a really important step for those businesses to take because when they do that, they, you know, documenting it means you can embed it for the future and you can also help to create a blueprint for other people as well. So um, I think that's, that's really one of the challenges for Kiwi businesses, taking the time to stop and really to really do that. And as we head towards wrapping up, just one of quick fire questions is going to throw at you. What are you reading? What are you listening to? Well, I have been listening to loads of podcasts actually recently and I think getting to grips with the New Zealand landscape again, really trying to to see uh, what people here are doing and just listening. So I've actually, you know, I've listened to quite a few of your podcasts, actually. Hey. <laughs> and there's, there's so much um, amazing, like, there's just all these new media platforms in New Zealand, like the spin-off and really getting to know some of that storytelling has been really interesting for me as well. And do you draw on the sort of power of mentors? Like how, and how, if you do, how does that play out? How does that look? This is a really interesting one. I think with mentors, um, I've had some amazing, yeah, mentors that I've worked with, both, you know, overseas and back in New Zealand. But also, I've actually found the most inspiring people, especially in this work, are the ones on the ground that, that live and breathe it every day. So, you know, when I was working in the ethical fashion space, I loved speaking to the people that ran the factories that were on the ground growing cotton, um, you know, really getting their hands dirty and doing it in an impactful way. I find that the most, you know, educational, inspiring place to be in this work. So, you know, which is what I love about my job at, at B-Lab because I get to surround myself with these amazing business people every day who live and breathe it and can teach me so much about a better way of doing business. And if you had an opportunity to have lunch with somebody dead or alive, who, who would that be? Oh, gosh. <sighs> Ah, oh, this is such a tricky question. Um, who would that be? I do actually. I don't think I can. I don't. I don't. Don't have an answer for that one. We might have to edit this one out. <laughs> um, I really struggle with that, and I think as I've got older, I've gone safer on that one, or not safer, but I've gone more like. Do I really like to have asked my grandfather one more or a couple of questions? You know that whole that's, like that's exactly where my head was going. Was my my grandfather? <laughs> um, mm. Yeah, I think like my on my Chinese side because he died when I was about two or three, and he, and he was an incredible businessman as well. So uh, he he also became the mayor of Latoka in Fiji. Uh, he you know built a family business up from the ground, and I never really got to hear those stories, even though I, I you know I hear them through. My, my dad and my aunties and uncles now. But. And so he, he moved from China, he migrated from China to Fiji and then to New Zealand, is that what happened? Yeah, so both my, my Chinese grandparents both moved to Fiji when they were young, about 15 or 16, and um, set up life there. You know, that was sort of during the time of the war and China wasn't a safe place to be. So there was quite, you know, it was quite common for people to, to emigrate. And yeah, so they, they grew up, my, and then my dad and his brothers and sisters were all born in Fiji grew up there and then moved to New Zealand for high school. And do those stories get told? Like, do you, when you get, all get together, as you said, you do regularly, do, is the sort of family folklore, does that endure? Yeah, definitely. Um, they love talking about, yeah, the, all the family history. 
the great times they had in Fiji, you know, it sounded like an amazing place to grow up. And yeah, just all the anecdotes and the funny stories are yeah, definitely passed down, which is really cool. Um, we really would be nice to find a way to capture it, actually. As you said, you're now a mum. Looking forward, um, you know, what, what do you want from business? What do you want from capitalism for your as a daughter? Yes. What's your, are you looking forward? Um, I just hope that this, you know, the world we live in, um, that people who are, anyone who's in a position of privilege can use that position for good. Um, we are so lucky, you know, most people in, in Aotearoa, New Zealand, not definitely not all, but we, um, you know, we're really fortunate to be born here and to live in a society which mostly respects our rights and is values driven. And we should use that for, for, for good and improving the lives of others and creating a world which is better for our children and our children's children, as sort of cliche as that sounds. I hope that that will be, you know, the future that she lives in and that that's more commonplace. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me on Pepsi and um, look forward to staying connected with you in the future. Awesome. Thanks very much, Mark. Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. I hope you like what you're hearing, because I sure do.